0: Flick open to Joshua chapter 6, whether it's in the, uh, yes. the old Joshua. <laughs> you should take note because this is why we named you. <sighs> <laughs> which ages should turn up to youth? Oh, which ages should turn up to youth? I don't know. Any suggestions? <laughs> so typically, so I think we're starting from year 6 through to, like, through to the end of high school. It's term 4, so year 6 as well. Yeah, term 4, so it's year 6 right through to if you're in high school. You're very welcome. Excellent question, Michelle. Thank you. Why, were you wanting to come? Yeah. As a... Yeah, Yeah, you miss out just. All right. Yeah, Michelle does go to high school most days of the week anyway, but just not as a student. All right, so crack open to Joshua chapter 6, and I'm going to meet you there in just a moment, but to give you a little bit of context of what we've been going after. Um, If you remember, about a month ago now, um, I unloaded a word about asking that. And the the word was essentially that there was a wave of healing coming from God that was going to push you back onto your ask with a K, (laughs) A-S-K. In other words, the healing that was going to happen in your heart was going to cause you to fall back onto the things you have been asking God for. And he is saying, ask me because I want to give you what you ask for. Then Deb, for a couple of weeks, unpacked the process of faith, how faith works. And one of the things that I have found as I've walked this kingdom journey is this faith thing is about us co-labouring to see our ask come into manifestation, into being, into reality. But as the church, we haven't really understood how the kingdom operates and how the processes of faith work. And so we don't know how to see those things come into manifestation, how to cooperate with God to see them happen. And so we end up often deeply disappointed. This faith thing is a kingdom process that we need to learn to understand. Because when we understand it, a whole lot more things become possible. Deb in particular talked about the process of putting in the sickle. If you, how many of you were here that week? It was a couple of weeks back where she talked about that process where you put in the sickle. That's the harvest moment where you call that thing into manifestation and see it become a reality. It's no longer just something you see or are asking for. It's now something that is actually eventuated. So what I want to talk to us today, oh, sorry, before I say that, and then Megan two weeks ago, how many of you were here for that? She rocked it, right? We weren't here, but I listened to the podcast like the next day and oh my gosh, um, when, you, when Megan read out her ask list that had I think 27 different things on it and that was an incredibly vulnerable moment for anybody to do that um, and she did it so amazingly and beautifully, you're starting to get a picture there of what God is talking about of putting your ask out before him. And saying, God, this is what I'm going for. This is what I'm asking for. So what I want to talk to us today about is the power of what you see. The power of what you see. So let's go to Joshua chapter 6. So to give you context, again, this passage sits after the children of Israel have come out of slavery. They have crossed over the River Jordan So if you like, go, go even further back. Nice one. Yeah. Taxi. <laughs> the children of Israel have come out of Egypt, which was out of slavery, and they crossed over the Red Sea. And if you like, that was, that is such a picture of salvation coming out of slavery into freedom. And then they wandered around in the wilderness where God dealt with them. And part of the thing was that was God had to get Egypt out of Israel. He'd already got Israel out of Egypt, but he had to get the Egypt out of the hearts of the Israelites. Yes. And because so many of them couldn't make that crossover, a whole generation had to die in the desert until there was a generation that was ready to inherit what God had promised. Because they couldn't go into the promised land carrying the mindset of Egypt yes. because they were living as slaves. I mean, if you can imagine the change when they come out of Egypt, you know, their food was flown in every day. Sorry, when they come out of the desert into the promised land, their food was flown in every day. That's the manna and quail bit, if you're wondering what I'm talking about. (laughs) And then all of a sudden they cross over the Jordan and the crossing of the Jordan is the picture of going into everything that God had promised. That's why there's two crossings. One is the coming out of slavery. The other is the coming into that which is promised. And there's a process in the middle where God deals with us and deals with our hearts. And they cross over and all of a sudden, the food delivery service, the Uber Eats of the Old Testament, stops. (laughs) And all of a sudden, wives are saying to husbands, you need to go get a job. And the husband's like, what's a job? (laughs) Because they never had to do this before. So they go into the promised land and in the promised land is everything that they need but they have to go get it. It doesn't just come to them, they have to go get it. And this is one of the, um, this is one of the beginning stories. Once you see the crossing over which happens in Joshua chapter 1 This is now the next kind of battle where they are taking ground. Now, if you've been around for a little while in I-61, you've known for the last two years, our big picture theme has been about taking ground. You may have noticed as I'm talking today, we haven't yet changed the subject in nearly two years. And we're not about to just yet. This is a key taking ground moment. And in here, we get some keys as to, pardon me, What is the process of taking ground? What are the things that happen? What are the things that God requires of us? So Joshua chapter 6. For those of you who are saying, just read the darn verses, hurry up. Here it is. (laughs) Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry the trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests, son of Nun, it's like, does that mean you're fatherless? It's weird. <laughs> That was a joke. Anyway, a bit of an old one. Um, Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their noses, no, trumpets, sorry. (laughs) For me, it's not too different. Um, And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once, then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rearguard followed the Ark of the Lord. Sounds like history repeating itself, of course. So on the second day they marched, they turned around and they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. Let me jump ahead. Um, no, actually, this is good. Verse 16. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord God. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her shall, in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, and so on they go. Um, verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men, women, young, old, cattle, sheep, donkeys. Joshua said to the... and Anyway, you get the idea. Uh, Verse 26. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, cursed before the Lord is anyone who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. This is a pretty epic day. Now, if you follow um, any of the the historical archaeology around the city of Jericho, it seems to indicate that the wall literally went down like an elevator shaft, kind of straight down. Sorry, I didn't mean to freak you out. Literally kind of went down like it was on an elevator shaft. Um, Because if the wall kind of crumbled outwards, a whole lot of people would have like got crushed. That would have not been a good day for them. It's like, imagine that. Go, we're going to take the city. The wall's coming down. Oh, no, we're dead. That wouldn't be good. That's nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but it is very interesting. Um, Let's have a quick look at the process. When we look in verse 1... Verse 1 is where we see the situation, their current reality. And the current reality is now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. That was their situation. Anyone ever felt like your destiny is like that? It's a walled city. Nothing's going out, nothing's coming in. All I can see is walls. Anyone ever had that kind of feeling? Yeah. That, that was their reality. Nothing's going out, nothing's coming in. Now part of the reason it was tightly shut up was because they, the Jerichoites, I don't know if that's a word, knew that the children of Israel were there and knew that God had given them the city, so they'd locked it down in the best way they possibly could. Um, still really didn't work. But that was their situation. So number one is we see the reality. So any, any time that someone is teaching or speaking about faith in a way that tells you to deny your current reality... I don't think that's a biblical thing to do. I think it's a smart thing to do because faith is not denial. Actually, I could argue that it is. It's not denial of reality. It's denial of the influence of that reality over you. That I'm cool with. But it's not denial of the situation. David didn't say, Goliath's not there. Can't see him. No, nothing to see here. He had to see him in order to put a rock through the middle of his head. He saw him very clearly and said, wow, he's so big I can't miss. Boom. Look at that. That's not denial. That's seeing exactly the situation as it is. So number one, we need to recognize the situation that it is. But then verse two, something happens. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Now we could read that as like, you know when parents in the room, when you tell your kids not to do something and they do it and it goes bad and you go, see, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way of looking at that and that's what that's often the way that I think we, we kind of see it as oh see <laughs> I actually think something's different happening because he describes the picture of what's going on and then he says but I want you to see a different reality I want you to see this as I see it don't deny the reality I just want you to have eyes for something else which is see I have given you this city And this is where the real question comes when it comes to our ask is, what is it that you see? What is it that you see? Yeah, Megan put her list out there uh, a couple of weeks ago. And having journeyed with her since she was like this high, there are so many times where I know for her journey, she's seen it like a massive walled city, but she's never lost sight of what she sees, which is... Yeah, sure, I'm going to get to talk more on that sometime soon. Um, But he wants to touch what we see. He wants to encourage us. He wants to ask us, what is it that you are seeing? We start with reality or the situation, then what God asks us to see. And then once we get what we see sorted, then God gives the strategy. Situation. C, strategy. And if you can find a way to say kick butt in a way that starts with an S, someone tell me. Succeed. Oh, come on. That was worth a better clap than that. Come on, that was good. That was like... (laughs) I have to write that down. So I'm hoping that a couple of weeks ago, for those of you, and if you weren't here, please get the podcast um, of what Megan spoke a couple of weeks ago um, when she put the ask list out there because it just gives you an idea of w- w- what does that look like. And it can be big picture like that. Um, but in that big picture, there were some smaller picture things too. You know, th- th- there are some things along the way. And part of our ask for this year is that we would actually get what we are, that we are entitled to with our house. And this week, interestingly, it was the Day of Atonement on Thursday, and that was the day a whole lot of breakthroughs happened. I, it's just an interesting little, interesting little thing with the Hebrew calendar and some of the things that Megan had been declaring out. And I know that there are a lot of breakthroughs that happened for people this week. He wants to touch what you see. One of the things that wars against what we see is unprocessed disappointment from past seasons. When we have unprocessed disappointment from past seasons, it affects what we see. Now, we all have, if you've been alive longer than 20 minutes, you're going to have disappointment. Anyone ever had an unanswered prayer? Yeah, my hands Having disappointment is actually a normal part of life. Learning how to deal with it is one of the things, effectively, is one of the things that sets apart people that actually walk into everything that's promised and those that don't. Because when I process my disappointment, I can come out the other side and I can see with hope again. What you see matters. Ephesians 3.20. Paul, he, he... Talking, if you like, um, as in a prayer to the Ephesian church, he says, "Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine." I want to suggest that the realm of imagination is an important canvas for the Holy Spirit to paint on. That the things that you see in your imagination, in your mind's eye, God wants to redeem that part of your world. It's often a part of our world that comes under so much attack. Hey, the, the, the realm of lust, the realm of disappointment, um, just to name two, are areas where the imagination comes under a huge amount of attack. But the realm of fear is also um, one that wants to hijack our imagination. But as I read that, if he's able to do above all we can ask or imagine, then what, that's good. What is imagined there is a really good thing and is really big. And it's saying that God, yeah, you might—I can imagine some pretty wild stuff, <laughs> like says I have dreams of global domination and all—in a kingdom sense. Just to be clear, <laughs> and I remember um, a number of years back, I was, you know in a real kind of dreaming phase. And then someone came up to me with a prophetic word and said, God's saying you're not thinking big enough. And I'm like, is there another planet that I'm supposed to take? Like, I don't know how I can get bigger than this. (laughs) Like, is there a second one? Is there like aliens? I don't know. But apparently he's able to do not just above that, but exceedingly abundantly. That's two words that are kind of superlative in nature, which means you can't kind of multiply them any higher. And he's able to do, uh, you can do the maths on that for me, Grant. Exceedingly abundantly squared to the power of something. It's just really big. Google, yeah, with an al, not Google, yeah. Anyway, math nerd talk. Um, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. It's a verse that um, many would be familiar with if you've been around church and kingdom for a while. And the the traditional version of it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. If you read the latest kind of edition of the NIV, it says where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Um, The essence of what that is, vision, obviously it is a sight-related thing. Where we lack revelation, where we lack visionary revelation, that comes from God, that cast off restraint means basically we just go off and do whatever we want, not in a good way. In other words, when you have a vision, when you you can see the ground that God is asking you to take, the the ground that God has for you to take, it has a restraining and a focusing power that keeps you on a track, on a course of action. Does that that make sense? And it says when... When we lose vision, we just kind of throw it all to the wind and go, whatever happens will happen. We cast off restraint. There is vision, if you like, your imagination, your seeing is a restraining force that says, you know what? I could go hang out with that, but if I hang out with that, it's going to undermine that. Not worth it. I'm going to keep on this path. That's the kind of thing I mean, yeah? But when we lack that seeing... We lack this thing that keeps us in the lane that God has created us for. I've talked before um, from Ephesians where it says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. The word workmanship literally means poem, like we're his poetic masterpiece. And he has created a path for us that we should walk in. And he's perfectly designed us for that. And you think, well, hang on, does that take my choice away? Not necessarily because that path is designed for how you're wired. It's designed for maximum impact, maximum influence, maximum joy, maximum satisfaction. Because after all, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Not misery, boredom, and... Can't think of a third one. And something else bad, yeah. You got one? Disillusionment. Disillusionment, that's good. You're on fire, baby. Come on. Did you eat the thesaurus <laughs> If you missed that, she said, did you eat the thesaurus the, the? I can't say it. Can't say for fourth. Did you eat a thesaurus for lunch? That's very good. No, she's had only four hours sleep because you've been working, right? Yeah, so no filters. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Now, some of the biggest things that affect what we see are the words that God has spoken over our life, whether that's come from Scripture, whether that's come from a prophetic voice, um, whether it be a friend, a ministry or whatever, speaking that stuff over our life. And part of the way that we cooperate with that word is to let it touch our imagination and go, okay, God, what would that look like if that was fully manifested? If that promise that you spoke over me, don't leave it as just words, get it into pictures because God's asking you to change what you see. Those words are meant to create a picture. And then Luke 1.37, where it says, nothing is impossible with God. In the context of that, it's where um, the angel has come to Mary and said to Mary, you are going to become pregnant, even though you're a virgin, and you are going to give birth to the Son of God. No small deal. Um, And and the end says... These words, for nothing is impossible with God. The words literally in Greek mean no word spoken by God is without power. In other words, no word spoken by God lacks the power in and of itself to fulfill that thing that was spoken. This journey of faith is essentially the journey of learning to cooperate with and steward that power toward an actual outcome. See, faith is meant to manifest something tangible. And we see that in Jericho because what God spoke, he called them to see something different and then what they saw is what was manifested. This is the process that we need to learn and to understand is how to cooperate with God in a kingdom realm to see that which he has spoken become a reality. And this is a process, but it's a process that you can't do outside of intimate relationship with the Father and with His voice. Yeah, if you... Somehow I always come back to this as an illustration, but, yeah, childbirth is a process. Okay, you can actually kind of define, you know, there's this stage, there's this stage, there's this stage. You can go, oh, well, that's just a formula. Until you're the one actually doing it, which, of course, I have not had the joy of... um, up until this point in my life and I'm not sensing that that is going to happen I have been in the room when it's happened but I haven't actually done it but I know that it's one thing to know the formula and the process it's another thing to actually live it experientially and this thing of faith yes it is a process it is definable but it actually has to be lived out as an experience where we learn that that which God speaks, I'm going to give you that city. You walk up to it and go, this situation looks like the exact opposite of that which you said, God. What the heck? That is normal. Aren't you glad to be in the kingdom? Yes? (laughs) Okay, really bad response to that. All right. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, Yeah, it's good. Good start. So then we let God touch what we see. We let God touch our imagination realm. We let him start to show us things, to show us pictures, to put things into our heart, our spirit, our spirit-anointed imagination so that we start to see things very, very different to that which is the natural situation. So we're not denying the reality of what's in front of us, but we are denying it a place of influence over our faith. I want to suggest disappointment often comes because we don't understand how the kingdom works. So in a really simple illustration that I'm probably going to butcher, but you'll get the idea. Okay, you've heard it promised that cars are meant to actually drive and work, yes? So let's say we know this, and yet we are in front of a car, and it's not starting, it's not going, nothing's happening. And I, this promise is bubkiss, man. I was told this thing's meant to work. And it doesn't work. And I don't know what to do to make it work. Because do these hands look like they've ever done any manual labour ever? Oh. I think not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when I get in front of a mechanic who knows how the thing works, yeah. they look at it and they go, The problem's there and there. Fix, 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 boom, now you can drive the car. The problem wasn't with the promise. The problem was we didn't know how this thing works. Does this make sense? This journey of faith, when things are not working as we had hoped, we can either stand next to the car and go, this thing's a piece of junk and walk away, or we can find someone who knows how that thing works and go, can you walk with me? Can you help me understand how this thing operates so that that which is promised can become a reality? I know this is kind of a messy analogy, but are you getting the idea? Are you just saying that so I'll finish? Because <laughs> I will finish, I promise. I'm almost there. I only got an hour and a half to go. No, joking. Disappointment often comes because we don't understand how the kingdom works. And therefore we think the word lacked power because it's not coming into manifestation. And I've prayed everything I know how to pray. I've done everything I know to do, but still haven't shifted this thing. And yet we read about people that were able to shift that very same thing on a regular basis because somehow they found a key as to how the kingdom operated in that area. Now, I don't have to understand how every part of all the kingdom operates. I have a lane that I am meant to walk in. I have a territory that I'm meant to take. I need to understand that realm because when I understand that realm, and I've talked about this before, when I talked about being the head and not the tail, I need wisdom and understanding and I need authority. And when I have both of those, they feed off each other and they bring us into a place of breakthrough where I can actually take territory. But when it's not happening as I hoped, I can either go into disappointment or I can use it to start seeking out, hey, God, who knows how this thing works? Who can help me fix this thing? Who can help me connect that to that that I can't see and I have no understanding of so that I can see this thing manifested? Because the word doesn't lack power. And Deb mentioned this a couple of weeks ago as well. What did you say a couple of weeks ago? So I just got distracted by Megan's red wig as she walked across the back of the room there. She's gone now, it's okay. It's particularly funny. Um, Oh, I know what it was. The parable of the sower. In the book of Matthew, there are four different kinds of soil. The word goes into four different kinds of soil and only one out of those four soils actually see the word produce that which it was created for. Did the word lack power? No, but it couldn't find a resting place that would actually cooperate with what was in that thing in order to see it manifested. Which is why that parable teaches us the stuff of the heart. Learn how this thing works and all of a sudden you're going to start to see your promises manifested in a way that is way different to what we've seen before. Now, is there mystery in all of this? Yes. Is there God's timing in all of this that we don't understand? Heck yes. Yes. Welcome to most of our life. (laughs) But one of the things we know, Deb and I were up in Queensland, um, this is a couple of years back, and um, we were listening to Joshua Mills, who's a really epic breakthrough dude um, in short, and he preached from Galatians 6, and the message was simply this. Do not grow weary. What was the beginning of it? Yeah, do not grow weary and lose heart, for at the appointed time you will receive what is promised if you do not grow weary and lose heart. And basically said, there is an appointed time. Your job is to keep your heart, to not grow weary, to not lose heart. In other words, not let what you see be affected by your circumstances, because there is an appointed time where you will see the breakthrough. There is mystery. There is things that we don't understand. That because God is like really, really big. (laughs) Okay, he understands a lot more. Yeah, Isaiah, his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's a long way. But there are aspects of the kingdom that he wants us to understand. Let me land with this. King David, known as a man after God's own heart, and of all of the people in the Old Testament, the way that David operated set the nature of the throne that Jesus would sit on. Because it says that when it was prophesied the coming of Jesus, it said he will sit on David's throne. Wow. So what you saw in David set the character and the nature of the throne of which Jesus would sit upon. That, that's pretty epic. <laughs> now, David did something in the area of 24-7 worship and intercession in the presence of God. Work with me here. That covenantally was reserved for a later time. So in the old covenant, the presence of God was contained within the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the temple, which could only be accessed once a year by a priest who had a rope tied around his ankle just in case he died while he was in there because if anyone else went in to get him, they'd die too. So the rope was there so they could pull the body out. (laughs) Fascinating Old Testament stuff. This was real. There goes the red wig again. (laughs) If you're listening to this on the recording, good luck. Um, But (laughs) David instituted, even in the old covenant, worship in the very presence of God, 24-7 that was an experience that was meant for the new covenant. It was never meant to happen in the old covenant. But David could prophetically see a time ahead where that would be the nature of the kingdom, where the people of God could come freely into the presence of God and worship him unrestricted. And because he could see it, Even though this was reserved for a later time covenantally, he was able to pull it into his day and see it manifested. This is huge because what this tells you is if you can see it, you can have it. If you can see it, you can have it if David can pull something in that legally belonged to a later time because Jesus hadn't yet died, we now live in the fulfilment of that. And if you can see it, you can have it. So what do you see? What do you see? Today I feel he wants to touch our seeing. Viv, do you want to come up? I'm going to pray for us in a second. And then I want us to end singing that Sea of Victory song because it's just really obvious why. <laughs> this has been an interesting week of breakthrough for not just us, for, for a number of people and there are a number of stories that will be told um, in days ahead. Um, but it, just, it has been a, an unusual week of breakthrough. God's up to something. He's always up to something. But right now it feels like there is a, it's a particularly pregnant season where there is unusual grace to step into things that previously have been delayed, have been denied, have been seemingly unavailable. And I don't, I don't know about you, I don't want to miss out on it. I want everything the contract says I can have. One of the things he wants to touch, if we're struggling to see you're looking for something that you... Oh, your stand. Yeah, take that. One of the things that could be happening for you if you're struggling to see is unprocessed disappointment from a past season. Because all I can see is what went wrong. All I can see... That was close. (laughs) what a catch what a catch sorry cricket season's coming I'm getting excited um I can see a lot of good there anyway disappointment from past seasons impacts our ability to see because viscerally all we can feel is the pain of that disappointment I'm gonna get us to stand I'm gonna pray for us and then I want us to respond I feel like God's saying to us today, what is it that you see? When it comes to your ask, can you see it? What does it look like if that thing that you are desiring, that thing that's on your heart was fully manifested? What does that look like? And if you can't see it right now, then stop and ask God, God, what is happening in my heart? That is are stopping me from seeing because I know you're inviting me to see. If all you can see is the wall like of Jericho and you can see that territory that you believe that you are meant to occupy and you, all you can see is that it's tightly shut up and I can't see any way in. He's wanting to say to you, see, I have given you the city and let him touch what you see. And the act of that, if the act of that is bringing up all sorts of strong emotions of sadness, of, of pain, of anger, of frustration, of any of those negative emotions, then what that's telling you is there's disappointment from past seasons. And those emotions, I'm digging into workshops in weeks ahead, those emotions are signals to you that are telling you something's up. Little clue, your emotions are data, they're not commands. those feelings come up and you feel angry and frustrated, they're not telling you to walk away. They're telling you like a stink finder. Something's going on in there that you need to pay attention to. It's a piece of data. Don't think of it as a command. Think of it as information. That when those emotions come up in my heart, oh, there's some pain there. So what would it look like to see me take that territory? What would it look like for my body to be fully? What would it look like to have that breakthrough that I have been praying for for years? What would it be like? What would it look like to walk in that anointing, in that calling that I have felt for a long, long, long time? What would it look like to be able to fully express who I believe God's made me to be? So God, right now, I just ask, Every heart and every life. God, whether it's disappointment, whether it's pain, whether it's fear. But God, by your spirit, you would come and touch those bruised and broken places and begin to minister healing. And begin to minister hope. I want to declare restored hope. is the day where your hope gets restored because there's a mechanic that knows how that car works. They may be in this room, they may not be, but he has got you set up with a divine appointment with a mechanic that knows how to make that sucker work. Doesn't turn up tomorrow, it's one day closer. Just let your spirit start to stir Start to engage with the Spirit of God and start to see that which you're asking for. Start to see that which you're calling And then we are going to do some shouting and declaring victory. But I declare over us that we are a Joshua generation.